The following is recorded for Marine Creek Church. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at www.marinecreekchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Happy spring. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, shorts and t-shirt. Today, this. Winter just, it's, I don't know, it's like, I, I don't know, I'm not going to make any comments. Uh, let me just say something. During that last song, and God just started dealing with me, so if you would indulge me for a minute, I think we need to do a little bit of a sidetrack. But uh, as we were singing that last song, Furious, and I love that song. I wrestled with the words for a long time about God being furious and this sweet and wild, and I struggled with that. But uh, what I've learned is that following Jesus is never boring. I love that he has a furious love. I love that he has a sweet love. I love the God I serve. And uh, just as we were singing that song, and, and it, I've been praying for you uh, all week because today is, a, is an important day, and I have something, every time we open the Word of God, it's important. But I've really been praying for today's message. But as I, we were doing that song, I mean, God just kind of uh, shared with me, there's, there's people in this room that are dry bones. And uh, during that song, Awaken Hearts to Life, I started thinking of Ezekiel and uh, there was a valley of dry bones, and this I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to pray. Um, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath, enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I was prophesying. There was a noise rattling around, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons of flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, the sovereign, uh, say it, and say it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into this slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. That's what God was wrestling with me with over here in this little corner. Um, but I want to pray because I think there's, some of us in this room that are dry bones, and God is ready to breathe life into you. Um, and he's put things together in your life that only he can do. And so uh, before we get into the teaching, I just want to pray for you. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, the, if you're the dry bones. I don't know if you need tendons or whatever that is. But I know this, we need God's work in our life for him to raise us up. So I'm just going to pray. Father, uh, I love you. I thank you that you awaken hearts to life. I thank you. Uh, that you make the dead live again, that you, by your sovereign power, bring bones together and form tendons and ligaments and skin covers us, and that it is your breath that fills our lungs. And so, Father, just as with Adam, you formed one man from the dust and breathed life into him. Lord, we ask you this morning to breathe new life. Um, I don't know where we're at. I don't know the condition of everyone in this room, but you do. And you know that some came in here just barely holding on. And so I ask you right now, uh, I ask you to fill their, their lungs with your breath. I pray that you fill their soul with your breath. Um, the Holy Spirit, you are a mighty rushing wind. And I pray for you to enter in and bring life this morning. 
Lord, whatever hurts, whatever pains, whatever struggles, whatever trials, whatever, um, whatever mess we came in with this morning, I pray that you breathe new life into that right now in the mighty name of our sovereign Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. I'm Pastor Matt. Sorry we don't normally do an intro like that, um, but when God says to do it, um, we got to do it. Um, if this is your first time, I'm glad you're here. There's a guest card in that worship guide, and uh, you'll fill that out. We'd love to get some information to you. We don't do anything weird. We're not going to show up at your house unless you're cooking something good, um, but let us know. But, uh, but uh, we just want to get some information because there's a lot of incredible churches in our area, and we would love to help you. If, it's not, if God's not calling you to the creek, we want to help you get locked in because just as those bones come together and tendons come together, God forms a body that way. He forms the body of Christ that way, and so we want to help you with that. Uh, if, you've been in a, if, if, you've, if you've been in a coma the last week and a half or just not been on Facebook, maybe you're fasting Facebook or anything, um, last Friday, the 21st, we closed on the property. And so it's kind of a scary but exciting thing. The creek now owns land in a partially built facility. Um, this week, we were going back and forth with a construction company. We hope to have that contract signed tomorrow. Um, and what we're being communicated via the contract is once we sign 91 days and they hand us a key and a certificate of occupancy to a new facility. Um, so it's kind of like extreme home makeover, but a lot more time. Um, so uh, I'm already ready to shout, move that bus or whatever we got to do. I don't know. I'm just excited. Um, but uh, it, last week was an incredible weekend in the, for, for me. Uh, in the life of our church, yes, but for me because... Uh, we just threw an impromptu 3 p.m. gathering at that facility to pray, and uh, there were so many that showed up. And as we stood, I don't know if you saw the picture on Facebook, but uh, as we prayed, just the thing that kept coming up is uh, God puts a city, a, a light, like a city on a hill, and we are the light of the world. And then um, that song, the kids were singing that over in the kids' area last week. And I mean, it was just incredible moments that stick in your mind. And and just all this week, I've just been reflecting, and, and four years ago, this month is the anniversary of our fourth year for the creek, March 21st, will be four years that we've been at church. I start thinking about that, and like, man, God, you're just awesome. You're good. I can't, I mean, four years ago this time, I was freaking out. I'm going to be honest with you. I was freaking out, because I knew that God had called us to launch a church. We had nowhere to meet. And I'm like, God, you gonna, are you going to get to this? Because we set our launch date, because we feel you told us when to launch, and are you going to get there, God? Are you going to do something with this? Because, man, we're, we're, we're running down the wire. I mean, so I was freaking out four years ago about where we were going to launch a church. I really started having doubts. God, are we really called to launch a church? And then just in one text, God just opens up this daycare facility, an incredible opportunity, and just his goodness throughout the last four years has been incredible. And that's part of the testimony of us as a church. And I asked you last week if you would write your testimony. I gave you some details on how to do that. I hope this week you did take the time to write that, spend some time figuring out that, because what it does is it helps you look back and see the goodness of God in your life. And that's your testimony. And so we're, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 24, and we're going to continue on with the Apostle Paul. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the ends of the rows for you. If you don't own a Bible... Write your name in it. That's our gift to you. And uh, those of you who have version, you can find that on your smart device. We have a live tab that has all the fill-ins in there for you. And so um, uh, Acts 24, I am preaching out of a, a different Bible. I, I'm very sentimental about things. And uh, I have uh, a Bible from when I was a teenager. 
My parents bought me this in April of 1991. It's got some significant dates in the front of this, and I'll get to that later. Uh, but I, the day we launched the Krieg, I started preaching from a new Bible. And this is the first time that I've not preached from that Bible um, on the Creek platform, and I brought this one. And, and I have several old Bibles, and they all have significance, and there's inscriptions in them that, that have been written. And um, it just reminded me that it's important for you to, to make notes in your Bible. Um, you've got margins right in that. Heather's grandmother passed away a year and a half ago, and uh, by the time she passed away, she had read through the entire Bible at least 33 times that we knew of, and she used a different Bible every time. And she would make notes in that Bible. And it was so incredible to see what passage she read the day Heather and I got married and what she wrote. And uh, so do that. Leave that as a legacy. God's Word endures forever. I hope that my kids, grandkids, all, those, all, the, all the way down the line, they, uh, they find my old Bibles. And they're going to see a perfect God. And they're going to see a man who struggled. And I hope that they can realize that God can involve himself in that mess too and that a perfect God can do incredible things through an imperfect person. Um, so Acts 24. Um, the uh, couple things that set this up, the last several weeks we've been looking at Paul on trial um, and giving a defense of his faith. And we, we, we looked at a strip, scripture last week in, in 1 Peter about being prepared or being ready to give a defense or an answer for the hope that we hold on to. And we're called to do that with gentleness and respect. And that's part of our testimony. And what we have to understand is, is that God gives us a story. He creates our story. He intersects with our life. That becomes a story that is God's story, and we share that. And, and it's important for us to remember that. Uh, the nation of Israel was given a mandate to reread the law so that they would not forget it. And they would say, write these on your doorposts. Write these on your hearts. I mean, even the Pharisees would take this religious practice way too far while they would carry phylacteries and carry the word of God so they would always be near the word of God and remember his goodness. But our testimony is important, so we are prepared to give an answer, prepared to give a defense. And what is incredible about this is that we see through, through Paul's obedience to God, he puts them in front of the right audiences. So one thing that we've got to realize is when we follow God and we're obedient to him, he's going to lead us. He's going to guide us. He's going to put us in front of the right people to witness to. He's going to create that audience for us. We, we tend to think like, we tend to really get messed up into spiritual things. We start to think, well, God, what is your will for my life? What do I do? What do you want me to do? What job do I take? God, I know that, that you've created me for a purpose and that you have a ministry that you want me to do, and I'm, you, you wrestle. We all spend way too much time worrying about that. And God says, just follow me. When we follow God and we walk in obedience, he leads us into those situations. He's going to put us in front of people to share our testimony. So what happens is God says, you follow me obediently, and then when you come in front of people, tell them our story. That's the way we witness. We end up in incredible opportunities because we like to think the book of Acts is about the Apostle Paul because we've spent so much time on him. The central character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit, and the central theme is the gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news. Why is there good news in the scriptures? Because we are born sinful. We are born sinners. 
And there is a holy God, a perfect God, who gave of himself on a cross, who was resurrected on the third day so that we can have reconciliation with our creator. That's good news. To boil it down that me, a messed up sinner, can have a relationship with a holy, perfect God and be reconciled to him. That's good news. Because I don't know about you, but I'm a mess. Let me, just, let me help you. You're a mess too. Okay, people are messy. We just are. Let's look at some of the characters in our story here. Uh, Acts chapter 24. Um, several days later, Felix, who's the governor. We met Felix last week. Uh, to re- recap for you, Felix was fired by Nero for being too violent. Okay, that's the definition of irony um, because just go back and listen to last week. I don't have time. We've got important things to get to. Uh, came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul. Okay, so you've got here in this opening scene, you've got uh, Felix, the governor, and Drusilla and Paul. Um, let me give you some background on Drusilla. Drusilla is a Jew. Um, Felix married her. Um, Drusilla was 14 years old when she married Felix. Now, I know there's different things back then, but just if that's not creepy enough, it was her second marriage, okay? <laughs> just saying. Her dad, Drusilla's dad, her father, was Herod Agrippa I. If you don't remember that name, go back and listen to our teaching on Acts chapter 12, where we really hit the subject of pride. Uh, Herod Agrippa was speaking in front of the assembly in a silver-clad robe, and as he's speaking, the audience is going, this isn't the voice of a man, this is the voice of a God. And so uh, Herod Agrippa allowed that worship to be given to him. I mean, people, people praise me, and I'm like, no, you're not praising the right one, you need to praise God, I'm a mess. But he takes the praise, his head gets so big, and God says, okay, so if you're not a man, you're a God, let's see how you deal with worms. So he gets eaten with worms. It's it's an interesting story, fascinating story. Um, Acts chapter 12. Okay, so Drusilla is Herod's daughter, and she's seeing all this happen. So she's sitting in the theater watching her dad give a speech, and people going, Drusilla, your dad's not a man. He's a god. And then all of a sudden, he gets stricken with worms and dies. Pride kills him. He dies of pride, if you want to really boil down the, the COD or cause of death. So you would think seeing her dad go through that incredible experience and the result of pride in her life that she might kind of bend a little bit more towards humility. We have short-term memories, my friends. Um, Drusilla is married to another king before Felix. He's a a king of a small territory in what's modern-day Syria. Um, Felix meets her, and uh, it says that he, he says of Drusilla, she is beautiful among women. Okay, ooh, uh, 14, remember? So Felix falls in love with her, and Felix is already married at the time, and his wife was the son of Cleopatra and Anthony, granddaughter. Sorry, that, that would be even weirder. Never mind. <laughs> Felix's wife was the granddaughter of Cleopatra and Anthony. We, Adam, you need to fix that. Adam does our podcasting. So I say it up there like he's up there, but he's going to get a kick when he listens to this. So the granddaughter, so he's already, Felix is already married into royalty. And so Felix sees her, falls in love, he's got to have her, head over heels in love. Now, I have fallen head over heels in love. Um, the first time I saw Heather, I knew it was love. I said to my best friend, I said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. And he had some funny things to say, but um, I knew it. 
Now, Heather was about four months behind on that mail. Um, I mean, I got the Pony Express, and I don't know what she got, but it took four months of hard work. So I know what it's like to be head over heels in love and to go after the girl. Okay, so Felix tries a shortcut, which I do not recommend. He tries magic and bribery. Magic first. So he goes to a magician, and he says, can you cast a spell on Drusilla? Because I really, I got to have her. And so the magician tries to cast a spell on Drusilla, and it doesn't work. So then he goes to the old number two trick, bribery. It's like, look, look, you're, you're, you're a queen now, Drusilla, but look, look, this is a small kingdom. Look at everything I've got. And so he offers her his whole kingdom. Whatever you want, it's yours. And she's like, all right. So she leaves, number one, goes marries Felix, 14 years old. Because that maturity helps you make so many great decisions at that point. Uh, I'm not picking on any youth. I'm just saying. I was 14 once. And I was smart then, but I realize now how much I wasn't. But um, I give you all this background for this purpose. Paul is standing in front of two people who are a mess. I mean, how often do we get to witness or share the gospel with people who, are, who we like to call normal. Let me let you in on a little secret. Ain't nobody normal. If you think I'm normal, get to, you don't know me so well. We're a mess. But here's what I love about the gospel. The gospel works with messy people. The gospel works in messy situations. And a holy and perfect God can take a mess and redeem it. A holy God can look at a valley of dry bones and bring life. A valley of dry bones to me is a mess. And he can turn it into a vast standing army. Obedience to God leads us in the right direction, even with messed up people. Um, In verse 1 through 23 of chapter 24, we saw how Paul handled himself to be able to have a voice with Drusilla and Felix. Um, And I I shared this, when I was a youth pastor, I shared this with my youth leaders, and uh, I shared this with our team, and we just constantly talk about this. And and we call it this, we have to earn the right to go there. Um, So we have to earn respect and the right to go there with people. Now, some of you have probably tried this, maybe at work. It might have been in your own family, and there's no respect, or you haven't earned the right with your kids to be able to have those difficult conversations where you want to go straight to calling out sin, and you want to go straight to handling their behavior, and there's no relationship. It's just like in the office. You want to fix the messed up people, but that's, you have no relationship with them to do it. You haven't earned the right to talk into their lives. You know, it's like you, you might be praying for somebody in your, in your office and you say, let me take you to lunch. As soon as you sit down to lunch, you start talking about the behavior that needs to change. Or you start talking about the mess that you see that their life is in. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You just invited me to lunch. I don't know you. You don't know me. I don't want your advice. We have to earn the right to go there. We build relationships. We engage with the people. Verse 24, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Jesus Christ. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, 
Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Okay, so Paul begins to talk about faith in Jesus. And then he gets to righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And Felix gets afraid. We've got to talk about the sin. I mean, I know in, 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 in the church today, we, we try to avoid the issue of sin. And I think we're, we're robbing the gospel of its power. We cannot talk about the gospel without talking about sin. Sin is what makes the gospel good news. The gospel is what deals with the sin. And so in, in talking about this, we cannot talk about one and miss the other. We have to deal with both. But there is a priority. Paul starts with faith in Jesus Christ. It sets the playing ground as level. Is I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. I'm a mess, you're a mess. But you know what? Jesus. And then he gets into the righteousness, the self-control, and the judgment. Of course, this is going to make Felix upset or afraid. Have you ever been convicted of sin? I mean, the Holy Spirit is the convictor of sin. And, And have you ever been convicted of sin? It brings some fear because you realize, I am robbing God of his glory. Everything that God is due, I am robbing him of because of this in my life. And I do, I feel fear. I've been through it. And the Holy Spirit probably starts to convict Felix and he starts thinking, man, righteousness, self-control. Think about Drusilla. I had to have her. I even went to the lengths of trying to cast a spell on her. Or I bribed her. And he starts probably thinking, wait a second. This is hitting a little too close to home and he gets afraid. I find it funny that Felix is afraid, though, because Paul's the prisoner. And Felix is the governor who would be later fired for being too violent. And he's afraid of Paul? Let me help you with something. We've got to address sin, but that cannot be the opening line. It's got to be Jesus. Whatever topic you start on, it's got to get to Jesus as quick as possible. Because I've got sin that creates a mess in my life. But it's Jesus who helps that. The people you live with, work around, life around, they need to know more about what you think of Jesus than you think of their sin. That opens the door. So Paul begins to talk. They send him away. And uh, Felix sends him away because uh, at the same time, He was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. So he's hoping Paul would give him and go, look, let me just see what I can do. Let me see what kind of money I can pull together and hook you up, Felix, because I'm kind of tired of being in here. I I can't speculate with Paul, but I don't know if he may have led Felix on a little bit. Like, there might be some money there because he keeps getting to talk to him, right? I'm going to ask Paul when we get to heaven. Like, were you leading him on? Paul like, pshh. Maybe. So, verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So, two years had passed. Paul has been speaking with Felix and Drusilla for two years. We don't see here that in this transition, they both got saved. We don't see that in the incredible pool that's at Herod's palace, 
that right in front of the seashore, there's this incredible freshwater pool. I think it was like 175 feet long. We don't get to read in this story that Paul got to baptize Felix and Drusilla in that pool. We just see for two years, Paul pours in with the gospel, and then Felix gets replaced, and here comes Festus. Is this a win for the gospel? Be careful how you answer that. Because we tend to think that just because these two people didn't get saved, and for two years Paul's been speaking of faith in Jesus, that it's not a win for the gospel. Let me free you up with something. The results are not up to you. Paul later writes about one planting and one watering, but who provides the increase? The Lord provides the increase. I think this is a win for the gospel. For two years, Paul got to plant seeds. He got to water seeds. He's not accountable for the increase. If we think the results are up to us, we're going to do anything we can or say anything we can to close the deal. We're going to resort to what Felix did to get Drusilla. Magic and bribery. Well, how do we do that? You've all experienced it. You've probably all hoped it with your faith. Well, if you put your faith in Jesus, man, he's going to fix everything. I know you're sick, but as soon as you do, man, he's going to make you a brand new person. All that You're never going to be sick again. You know, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Now, I know a lot of Christians who have submitted and surrendered their lives who are broke, sick, and dumb. I mean, we, we try to sell Jesus. We doll him up. We try to bribe people to come to Jesus. I think the funniest one, yet saddest one, is, is with kids. Now, when you die, do you want to go to heaven to be with mommy and daddy, or do you want to go to hell where there's not mommy and daddy? <laughs> like, of course you're going to pick. I want to be where my mommy's at. Look, the results aren't up to us. Here's the win. The win happens when we clarify the gospel and we glorify God. Paul, for two years, made the gospel clear. And let me tell you something. When you clarify the gospel, when you share your testimony, you are going to glorify God. Last Sunday, standing in that that shell of a facility and seeing the church assemble, I begin to think of the past and how faithful and how good God has been throughout the history of this church. How faithful and how good God has been throughout the history of my life. And you know, all I can do is give Him glory because I'm not good enough to do that on my own. I'm not smart enough to create those moments. I can't manipulate those things. That is a testimony of the goodness of God. So for two years, Paul glorified and clarified. In your office, you may have been praying for people, it might be your own kids that you've been praying for. You've been praying your guts out. And you haven't seen anything happen. You keep praying your guts out. You keep clarifying the gospel. You keep glorifying God. And you are not the one that's going to make the response happen. It is a heart submitted and surrendered to God that brings that life change. So Paul's still in prison and the gospel goes out. I consider that a win. Let's keep going. Uh, 25, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem where the chief priest and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. Okay, so it's the same people bringing the same charge. Let let me help you with something. 
Don't let religious or angry people distract you from God's plan. I had to confess to the first service, I almost pulled out religious because I felt like maybe we should soften this up, but I can't do that. Because there are people in your life that are angry and you're, you're starting to bend your ear to them and you're not following what God's called you to do because they're angry about you doing it. But there's also religious people that become an incredible roadblock to God's plan for your life. Let me give you an example. Somebody gets saved and they've got that passion and that zeal and that joy and they are just on fire for Jesus. And then you got some some other person that's been saved for a long time. I mean, their salvation's kind of getting crusty. You've got to chip the edges off every once in a while. And they sit there and go, they'll settle down. Why would you want them to settle down? And they're ready. We've got to disciple them. We don't want them to have zeal without knowledge, but, you know, we've got to disciple them. Let's get this momentum going. I've had to move people out of the way, more so in church than outside of the church. I deal with more religious people that create problems with God's plan than I do people outside of the church who are angry about God. So don't let either one of them get in your way of of God's plan. And some of you might be thinking, does God have a plan for me? If you're sitting here, yes. How can I tell you that? Because you just took a breath. When God is done with you, when his plan for your life is finished, you will know it because you will not take a breath again. And the first words out of your mouth are, Jesus? Question mark? Exclamation point? That's when you know. So don't let religious people get in the way. Go back to chapter 23, verse 11, after Paul messed it up in front of the Sanhedrin. And then Jesus comes to him that night and he says, Take courage, Paul. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so also you will testify about me where? In Rome. So you've got the same religious leaders that are bringing their charges up after two years, say, we're going back after this guy. Paul knows God's plan is to go on to Rome. And so we see that they're bringing the charges. It's almost like, is Paul the one in prison or are these people the one in prison? Let me tell you something. Bitterness, it's a poison. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. (laughs) That's what they were doing two years ago. Hey, I wonder what happened to the 40 people that said two years ago, we're not eating until Paul's dead. I wonder how many funerals they've had of these folk um, or how many commercials that they they got endorsements by like, you know, Jerusalem Slim for Life or something. I lost 80 pounds on the bitterness for Paul diet. Some of y'all have been losing a lot more than LBSs because you're carrying bitterness around. Let me tell you something. Bitterness is a poison. It becomes toxic not only to you, but to people around you. And we've got to cut that bitterness at the root. How do you do it? Here's just the best way. You can't will it. You can't make a decision. I'm not going to carry this bitterness anymore. You've got to humble yourself before God and you've got to invite the Holy Spirit in to cut that bitterness, to yank that root of bitterness right out of your heart. And what I love about God, the Holy Spirit is just so beautiful and so masterful that he carves so gently that bitterness out where we realize, 
I don't have that anymore. And I want to encourage you, some of y'all are carrying some bitterness this afternoon. You're not going to have much going on outside. Then go get quiet for a minute. And first deal with that bitterness with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's drying up your bones. Maybe that's sucking the life right out of you. And you need the Holy Spirit to breathe that new life right back in and to carve that bitterness out. Festus answered, Paul's being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. Then Paul appeared to the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, stood, stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the laws of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Now, there's an interesting temptation going on here. Um, Paul is having to deal with some people that for two years have been hanging on to this. Here's something for us to learn. Some people are not going to change. It doesn't mean we give up on them. We don't give up on them, but we have to let God deal with them. Some of... Some of us, because there's people in this that I have this situation with as well, that you're on them so hard that they can't even hear what God's trying to say to them. Back off. Let God deal with them. That is the hardest thing. I can tell you from experience, that is incredibly difficult, especially when it's your child. But you got to give them over to God. And you got to say, God, you love them more than I could ever imagine. You've gone to lengths greater than I could ever go to to reach them. So, God, I trust you with them. And that is incredibly difficult. But it's interesting that in that moment, that when you truly trust God with that, how he does something incredible in you and in the other person. And so Paul's like, I've got to let go of these people. Because he's he's dealing with a significant temptation. And the temptation when this happens is we want to vindicate ourselves. We want to set the record straight. I mean, Paul's probably like, I'm the apostle Paul, man. I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I want to deal with these religious people. Some of us continue to have the same fights, the same Facebook battles, the same arguments around the Christmas table, Thanksgiving table, whatever it is, family, water cooler. We have the same arguments over and over and over, and they become this perpetual, continual loop of insanity. And we go nowhere. And Paul says, I'm not going to deal with the temptation. I'm not going to deal with the circular argument. I'm going on to Rome. Because that's where God has called me. He's not called me to come back and continue this fight with you. Let me help you. God has not called you. God has not saved you from sin and death to go fight with people, to fight with religious people, to argue cases. He has called you to go to Rome to preach the gospel. He has called you to glorify him and clarify the gospel. That's the calling. 
And Paul says, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to play your game. I'm not going to go there with you. And so Paul says, I'm not going to try to vindicate myself. So Paul gives his defense. And then Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Now remember what Paul had heard from Jesus in 2311. So you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you will testify about me in Rome. And so Paul says, I'm going on to Rome. I'm not going to fight and miss Rome. I'm going on. Because here's something interesting. Paul goes to Rome, and at the end of the book of Philippians, which he wrote while he was in prison in Rome, he says this, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. You know what that means? He didn't stay and fight in Jerusalem. He went on to Rome and people in Caesar's house got saved. That the gospel bore fruit there. And so Paul says, I'm going on. Let's see how he says it. It's beautiful. Paul answered, I am now standing before you in Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I don't refuse to die. But if the Jews... Uh, If the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. See, Paul's a Roman citizen and he can appeal to Caesar. What I believe, this isn't an appeal to Caesar. This is an appeal for the gospel because God had called him to go to Rome. And he makes his appeal for the gospel to go. And then after Festus had confirmed with his counsel, he declared, you've appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. That's where if you're watching this on a show, it goes to commercial after that. And you're just, it leaves you hanging on. I'm going to leave you hanging on. We'll pick up next week. But let me, let me help you with something. This gospel appeal, appeal to Caesar was not the easy way out. If, if, Caesar, if you go before Caesar and he doesn't like you, I've seen the movie, you've seen Gladiator. If he doesn't like your haircut, you stand before him, you know what happens. You don't even get to say a word. The Caesar appeal was more dangerous because at least Paul could volley for his life in Jerusalem. He could continue fighting with him. And the Caesar road, the Rome, the road to Rome was a more dangerous path, but let me tell you something, it was more fruitful. God doesn't call us to the, to the easy route. He calls us to the fruitful path. And Paul makes his appeal to Caesar. Let me help you with something. Just answer this. Are we going to argue our case? Are we going to move on and talk about Jesus? I asked you last week to write your testimony. I want to share just a little bit of mine because I want to make a gospel appeal to you. Um, I'm a sinner. I'm a mess. We've established that. And I tried to do something that I could not do on my own. I tried to figure out a way to get to God. And uh, we all have the same dilemma. That no matter what we do, we can't work it, we can't earn it, we cannot get to God. But we all have the same solution, and that's Jesus. That God wrapped himself in flesh in the first Christmas 2,000 years ago. A baby was born of a Virgin Mary who lived something that I could never achieve, and that's a sinless life. 
And at 33 years of age, he walked a hill called Calvary. And he was nailed to a cross. And he shed his blood. He was taken down from that cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he arose. He walked from that tomb victorious. There's so much that happened in that time. That when he was on that cross and his blood was shed, it was shed for the redemption of sin. That while he was in that tomb, he stepped into hell and defeated hell. He defeated the grave. And he holds the keys to hell. And when he walked out of that tomb, he walked out victorious over death. That Jesus is victorious in everything. He faced every trial. He faced every temptation. And he overcame them. And that's the good news. For me, um, I told you I was preaching from a Bible that's special to me. There's some dates in the beginning. This Bible was given to me on April 9th, 1991, by my mom and dad. I was raised in church. I was raised around the truth. I had parents that modeled commitment, faith, and trust. But in March of 1991, it became real for me. I had a youth pastor that was willing to invest in my life, and I could ask all my what I thought were silly questions about the gospel. Well, how did it happen on the cross? How does that mean? And I can't tell you all that. I can't give you all the science behind that. But on March 17th, 1991, I gave my life to Christ. And on March 24th, I'm sorry, March 17th, I was baptized. I gave my life to Christ. On March 24th, I was baptized. And those dates are in my Bible. And let me tell you what happened after those dates. I was saved. I was a new creation. But for the next 10 years, I played faith. I pretended that I knew it and had it all figured out. But in 2001, I came to the end of me. And I just hit that moment of humility where I humbled myself before God and said, God, if this is it, I can't do it. I don't believe this is a life you've called me to live. I, I don't understand it. And, and let me tell you the challenge. I was raised in the truth, so I couldn't just walk away from the truth. That makes it more difficult because then you live with the guilt. And so I asked Jesus, I said, Jesus, I just need you to show up. And everything in my soul led to this question, are you willing to surrender it all? And I was so much at the end of myself and I said, you can have it all. I've made a mess of everything. And in that moment, incredible peace. There is no blinding light like a Damascus Road experience, but incredible peace overtook my soul. And even at that point, when God really, really took over everything in my life, if you would have told me I was going to be a pastor, I, he hadn't fixed my vocabulary yet. but the gospel works with a mess. And that's why I'm standing here today. I still struggle. I still deal with sin. I still with, deal with the flesh. But I have a loving, wonderful Savior who dealt with all of my sin on the cross through His blood. And He continues to walk with me.
And I don't know where you're at, but I appeal to you this morning. I'm not appealing to Caesar. I'm making a gospel up here. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you have no relationship with Jesus or you've been playing this faith thing and it's tearing you apart. It's exhausting you. I want you to make that decision that today's a, today's a new day. That the gospel becomes real in your life. Maybe for the first time or maybe for the first time ever. You're done. And the Holy Spirit breathes new life into you. And the dry bones that fill your skin become life bones. I'm going to pray for us all. You can repeat it in the quietness of your space. And here's how it happens. You know, so what do I do? I don't have to bribe you. There's no magic. This prayer that we pray together is not a magic chant that does it. Here's what, here's what happens. I love what Paul wrote. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, this was so key for my testimony. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. How? By grace. How do I receive grace? Through faith. How do I do that? We trust Jesus. But I can't understand it. But we can trust him. And I'm going to pray, and in the quietness of your moment, it's, this is that confession with your mouth and the belief in your heart that God gives you, the faith. And I'm going to pray. I want everybody to bow their head. And I think this is why the enemy has been fighting and there's been distractions and everything, and I don't know if this has been a hard one for you to lock in and pay attention to, but let me tell you something. Just as much as the enemy is fighting against this, God holds the keys to victory. He's overcome it. So I'm going to pray. And if, if, if this is the first time or you're just done playing with it, let's get, let's get it dealt with right now. Dear Jesus, I love you. I humble myself before you. And I lay my mess at your feet. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose again. I don't understand it, but I believe you. Jesus, I trust you. I ask for your blood to cover my sin. I'm tired. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I turn it over to you all of it over to you right now. What I think the successes are, I give them to you. The things that I've made a mess of, I give them to you. Jesus, be the Lord of all of me. Fill my life with your breath, with your love, Bring joy into my life. I'm tired of doing it on my own. And I submit it all to you. Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior. Grow me in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Marine Creek Church is located in Fort Worth, Texas. If you have any questions, feel free to visit our website at 
www.marinecreekchurch.com. Thank you.